0: Hey, everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned in to the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools within their success portfolios. I'm joined today by Dr. Eric Daimler, a leading authority in robotics and artificial intelligence. Eric's had over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur, investor, technologist, and policymaker. Eric has even worked with the White House on artificial intelligence. Let's head on over to the interview. Eric, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Eric. Man, I'm excited for this one. This really, when I was looking for a guest on AI, I was really excited about your background. I was really eager to... Really get you on here. But before we dive deep into your entrepreneurial story and and your expertise within AI, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're new to the show here, let me just give you a quick background. I look at it like an investment portfolio. That's compilation of investments, lays foundation for financial goals. Well, here on the Eric Mueller show, I want to discover how successful people like Eric invest in themselves and build the foundation for their success. So, Eric, start us off. What are some skills or traits, habits or mindsets that make up your success portfolio?
1: I, I'm you know, fortunate to have uh, chose my parents well, uh, so I had a lot of habits just kind of given to me, I guess, through osmosis. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there was any one that I that would occur as somehow uh, novel. Uh, my uh, parents certainly read a lot uh, and they certainly were hard workers. Uh, uh, they um, uh, had uh, investments in uh, residential real estate that, that kept them quite busy in addition to their jobs. So that I uh, spent my weekends with them, if not uh, doing uh, ordinary activities one would do when, when you're young. I, I spent time uh, working uh, in their business. Uh, uh, so I we were always working. This was not a uh, a relaxing endeavor uh, uh, being, a, being a young kid in my family. But that has served me well because uh, I have found that uh, working and learning and growing is, uh, you know, maybe not anything new, but it's, it's really, I've been really grateful to have been uh, given those habits at a young age.
0: Yeah. And, and looking at your background, Eric, I mean, you're obviously, you know, a very well-educated uh, individual in terms of schooling. You know, you've had stints at the University of Washington, Stanford, and, and Carnegie Mellon. Was that something that you had always planned throughout your life to go through that much schooling, you know, and become a a doctor to to get a PhD?
1: You know, in some respect, uh, I I thought that that was uh, interesting. But really, no, I I, uh, really just always wanted to learn and grow and the education really just came along uh, with it. It really was just a a natural uh,
0: outgrowth. Okay. Yeah. And, And the thing that I thought was really interesting is that when you were at Carnegie Mellon or shortly thereafter um, with getting your PhD, you really drove an initiative to get entrepreneurship going there and, you know, the Silicon Valley-based campus. And that's really something that I think back to my schooling. And I I went to St. Olaf College in Northfield. And really, when I was an undergrad, I was not even at the point of thinking entrepreneurially at that point. I mean, I was so early in terms of, of that thought process. And so I think what you're doing there and what you've set up there, like that's so incredibly beneficial for those students that that think that way at that age. Yeah, that's funny.
1: I didn't know you went to that college. I think it's a really great reputation. If uh, one of my one of my uh, uh, in-laws, I guess you could say, uh, uh, went there, so uh, good good school, good good people. I, you know, I I was just always clamoring for a really good education uh, for myself. I, I uh, uh, w- was at what people would regard as probably a pretty good high school uh in in seattle but uh i wanted something more so i uh it's part of my boy scout eagle project when i was like 12 i think i uh solicited a campaign to get bus service out to my newly developed suburb uh east of seattle uh the the result of which uh was a new bus service so that I could then go to the University of Washington in, in Seattle and take classes. You know, this sounds terribly precocious, but uh, that's what I did just because I wanted uh, tougher classes uh, that normally something um, you'd find kids don't really want to
0: do. And it sounds weird even to describe it now, but that, that's what I did. Yeah, well, and, and you really perfectly described like just how an entrepreneur thinks is, is what problems affect you. So you saw the problem of transportation affecting you to be able to get you to that school to take those classes, that's a great way to think. I mean I, I think that's I'm noticing my brain continues to go more to that way as I as I develop, as I learn, as I speak to people like yourself and in, in regard to how how you can think like a like a businessman or woman. And another good point that talking about school brings up is that when you're in school and you have traditional assignments and different types of, of metrics and in, in which to measure success with grades you know, you get kind of a, a certain uh, definition of success, maybe, in your mind as far as what you need to do to be successful there. I'm curious for you right now what your definition of success is, and has that changed throughout the course of your life and career?
1: Very early uh, in my life, I wanted to uh, just have a, a full expression uh, in my job. Uh, somehow I got it in my head when I was. Uh, I, I think nine or 10, when I had my very first computer, it was a long time ago, uh, and, and I had a, uh, I don't know, quite an out-of-body experience, but really a feeling, a visceral feeling, even at that young age, that uh, computers, this this new tool that uh, uh, my, my parents had, had, had got me and I built from a kit, uh, uh, was going to allow uh, people, in this case, me, to... Uh, become more human. Uh, I, I just remember w- working with this computer and uh, uh, programming it, you know, such as it was uh, back then, thinking, wow, it does what I what I want. This has a, uh, a, a seemingly infinite number of expressions. And I could see, even at that young age, I remember this part pretty clearly that, that this world is going to expand and become more and more available to me. You know, it certainly fits the the narrative of people finding careers, where you know the, I think the story goes something like, uh, you know, any technology that happens before you were, you're, you're, 10 or 15 is just background. It feels like it was always here. You know, any technology that was invented between the time you're 15 and, and say 30 is, is something that you can take advantage of and build a career on. And then any technology invented after you're 30 or 35 is against the law of nature. Right. So, <laughs> you know, that, that probably uh, explains a good deal of why this took off for me at the time it did. Uh, you know, fortunate timing, fortunate parents. And uh, I, I just immediately uh, grabbed onto it with the opportunities that were afforded to me. Uh, I find that uh, continues, that I uh, have always looked to computers as a, uh, a tool to uh, have uh, a broader Population uh, express more uh, of of themselves. I you know I, I you know even though I, I I really had computers surrounding me, kind of growing up in a basement. I was that nerd. I have uh, always oriented myself around wanting people to use these tools and 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 developing tools to allow uh, others to just in, enjoy uh, their jobs more. You know we don't we talk about automation a lot. I know we, we started this off talking about AI. Uh, but you know, just generally, automation is something that we only do for jobs that we don't want to do. <laughs> you know, I don't want to automate. You know, being being with you in this conversation, or automate. You know, being with with my family. You know, I, I want to automate the, the, the traditionally uh, you know dangerous and dirty right these unpleasant jobs as they say. Uh, th- that's that's what I've always been uh, orienting myself. Uh, to provide it, it, it continued when I was a researcher and and into my time in public service and and and, it, it, and even today when we have a, a commercial expression, uh, I'll also spend time trying to put that commercial expression into some other uh, activities where we don't get paid but
0: can provide a uh, a real positive outcome to a broader set of the population. Yeah, that, Eric, that's a wonderful point about the automation. That's really not I haven't thought about it in that way yet because. There's elements of this podcast. There's elements of you know, a business that I run with my buddy online that automating like seems so nice to be able to do for certain parts of it, but you don't want to do too much of it and have it lose its authenticity or take the enjoyment away from you if that's something you enjoy. So really, I mean, there's so many questions that I just thought of based on what you just said. But the first one I'll just ask is, do you think in, in regard to AI as it is right now, do you think we have anything to worry about when it when it comes to that artificial intelligence in our lives? Do you think we're going to reach a point where maybe a, maybe a point of no return where we've gone too far with it and, it and it's breached too much where we can't go back? Do you see that possibly happening?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a, a funny uh, a point you, you bring up because I, I really had been unfamiliar with this idea that uh, we could that there are people thinking we could stop automation. I'm just not of that uh, view. And I, I, I think it's, it's so far outside of, of, of reality. It's hard for me to reconcile that. There's a, uh, a book coming out next, uh, next month, March, middle March called battle for your brain. Uh, uh, the pr- wonderful woman is professor at Duke and in philosophy and law uh, uh, who, who wrote the book. And she describes these people that, that think either we can stop automation or uh, uh, people think it's inevitability. Among other things, other wonderful things in the book. I, I recommend it. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know, automation is just has a long lineage and will will continue at a, at a trajectory, kind of whether we like it or not. Uh, you know, if it's not us that is is taking control of these uh, tools, the development and the application of our lives, uh, others will. Uh, the, the the point is for us to shape how they're gonna be deployed uh, into our lives. You know, and we see that uh, right now. Uh, We don't even need to imagine uh, a sentient AI uh, or any of the sort of Hollywood dystopia visions uh, because we're living that to some extent with social media. You know, Instagram is is super dangerous, especially for uh, teenage girls. You know, TikTok is, uh, you know, spyware for the Chinese government. Uh, uh, you know, despite all the other, in in addition, excuse me, to all all the other negative personality traits that they can enhance. So we we are living these technologies uh, downsides uh, right now, you know, the manipulation of our media enhanced by these technologies. We don't need to uh, stretch our brains (laughs) too much. But yes, it's going to get worse in that way. Somebody asked me when I was speaking at a conference last month, you know, what are some things that are going to continue? One of the one of my answers is, we're gonna always have bad actors. And we should plan on that when we're thinking about the deployment of these new technologies. You know, The, the closer uh, it, we get to a, a utopian vision of uh, what can be these life-saving technologies is, uh, is up to us. It's up to our involvement and, and our, uh,
0: our ability to embrace and shape how we want these technologies to be deployed. And jumping off of that, so the great point about social media because you know those are algor- algorithmically driven and they show you you know even if I post something on Facebook, like 10% of my friends might have the possibility of seeing it. And so I, I think it's it shows you what it knows that you're gonna engage with potentially and if you don't engage the first time, it might never show it to you again. And so it can kind of kind of create almost a, a biased perspective for that person. I'm wondering your point of view on on AI as we know it now, and obviously, chat GPT is probably the big hot, you know, hot topic right now that people are talking about. You're seeing it on social media and, and, and news outlets about its, you know, potential downfalls and potential benefits. But do you think that, that we're going to have a, a problem with with biased AI in the future as far as influencing the minds of, of upcoming generations?
1: I do. I, 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 we will have a problem with bias. Uh, uh, we will have a problem with bias if we uh, can't... Uh, uh, Get involved enough to understand how we want this to be deployed. You know the, the characteristic right now. I used to say that uh, AI is underhyped, and uh, you know that maybe a three, four, six months ago, uh, you know, in 2022. But today, in 2023, after ChatGPT, I think this is actually the right amount of attention because the the the, the amount of change that that AI and, and you know, digital transformations can bring to our world is is, is really uh, quite remarkable. Uh, and, and just now, it's really because of this massive amount of data and the ability to use this data, right? Remember, that is the innovation of ChatGPT, is, is that it captures something like 80% of the English language corpus. You know, we should be surprised if it didn't create some uh, terrific conclusions in, in, from our prompts. Uh, with that amount of data, but that's the innovation. With this amount of data that's now become available, uh, some really terrific, useful, you know, tasks can now be accomplished, and you know we're now beginning to see those those expressions just emerging as people have these you know wild uh, uh, experimentation with uh, with different versions uh, of generative AI. So I, I think we have a, a really uh, interesting time uh, right now with. Uh, uh, now being able to explore what is useful uh, about AI during uh, during this period we're living in,
0: I'll be honest, Eric. I love ChatGPT. I think the, the amount of time I've spent with it, I continue to use it more and more and more. You know, within the last month is really the, the time that I started using it, and really felt like I unlocked the power of like, wow, this can really help me. You know, have a brainstorming jumping off point for a paper, or really give me a, a good, uh, you know, a quirky title for a podcast episode potentially, and. I, I'm also wondering to that point, what advice would you maybe give someone who wants to integrate some AI into their daily life in beneficial and productive ways? Because you've mentioned, you know, a few times now that it's it's about how we, you know, really integrate this technology and how we how we deploy it, you know, with using your word. And I, I love that that version of of how to describe that because I think it is it's a tool that probably could be harmful, but but I really do think more likely it can be beneficial for people. What are your thoughts on how they can use it to the benefit?
1: You know, maybe just helpful to to, to back up and give a a useful definition of of AI. Uh, You know, know, people often will say that it is an augmentation, uh, you know, and that's true, but it's not really always like an artificial limb or a third arm. Uh, It's uh, also, you know, not really to say it's just an automation, uh, although that's true. Uh, It's certainly not terribly helpful to say it's just statistics, although that's also true. Uh, What what I I think it's helpful to remember is that it's uh, a a cycle that you're uh, sensing, planning, acting, and then learning for the experience. You know, I'm not inventing this definition. It's a kind of classic definition from the uh, Robotics Institute at, at CMU. Uh, so sensing, that's just collecting data around you, you know, autonomous car uh, driving down the road has a whole bunch of sensors uh, around that are that are collecting. I, re- I, re- I just rented a car once uh, uh, this last week in Europe, and I counted the number of sensors on the front of the car, just the front of this car, you know, something like 11 sensors uh, just on the front. So that is a car. That's not an automated car either. This is just a car I got at a rental shop uh, in, the, in Copenhagen. Uh, So 11 sensors, so so something that's taking in data and then that goes through the network, however it does, to the kind of central planning. uh, uh, And and that's traditionally where people think of as AI, but you have to first collect all that data. And then so the sensing and then the planning, and then uh, it has to act. So imagine that car rolling down the street. It takes in all this information to say, oh, well, is that a crosswalk? Oh, is that a person? Oh, is that a tumbleweed or a shadow? And then it has to decide, well, what are my, what's my confidence interval? What's my probability that I'm, that I think that this is a crosswalk and a person or versus a shadow. And then mm-hmm. it has to act. This is separate. These are, these are, these are important because it, it, it could just ignore it. Or it could come to a complete stop or it could do something in between. It could slow down. It could require driver intervention. That's an acting. So sensing, planning and acting. And then it learns from the experience. And that's the important additional component, because uh, that's, a, that's what distinguishes you know, AI from your traditional thermostat, where it gets, to, it gets to 70 degrees and then it clicks off, or gets to 70 degrees and clicks on. So it learns from the experience. And this is also important about AI. Since plan, act, and learn from the experience. The AI is not going to suddenly learn Mandarin Chinese. You know, it's going to learn the different shadows of a particular intersection that may or may not include a crosswalk. That's what it's going, to, it's going to learn. It's not going to spontaneously learn some, some other domain. It's going to learn something within the domain in which it's been trained, in which it's been designed by humans. So if you think about sensing, planning, and acting, and learning from the experience, because that makes you think a better, more powerful context for the automation that, that you want to bring to your life. And that then gets to my advice, which is experiment with the technology. You know, ChatGPT has has some wonderful technologies or wonderful applications that we're only beginning to explore so and generative ai in general uh is going is going through an explosion uh, of expressions based on what we've all learned from the, the uh, open AI example of chat GPT there's you know there's generative AI for sound which is fantastic there's now a generative AI for programming uh, you know this is just really fantastic you know my my company has its own generative AI which we can we can talk about but the, you know there's just a, an explosion of these generative AIs and I, I encourage people to experiment with these and see how they might apply uh, to their to their own work you know my, my view of chat GPT is uh, uh consistent with this meme that's been going around the past month where really it's just an 800 word autocomplete uh, i think that's kind of true uh, <laughs> but that, that's that's a, that's a short way of saying it that's the way i might describe it to a, a kid but uh uh, uh and, i know not to diminish the you know the power under underlying it because uh, it's a pretty darn sophisticated 800 word uh, autocomplete but it's uh uh it, you know it's also a way that can enhance uh, a lot of work we do, just like you described um, in, in seeding some articles, I guess you might say. Yeah. The downside is, uh, in, in, the, in the politest way, is that you need to reason about it every time. You can feed it truth and then truth and then truth and then truth and truth, and it may give you something that's not truth. So that's, that's one of the downsides. The the way of describing it that's not so polite is to, is to say that you know ChatGPT is a little bit like a, uh, um, uh, somebody that graduated in liberal arts, uh, you know, and, and it has broad knowledge but it's not very deep. And they can always be confident, but 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 often wrong as well. <laughs> uh, so they don't. Uh, it doesn't often tell you something uh, uh, beyond the surface level knowledge. It can be super useful, but you'll find how that applies to your own work. Only through experimentation.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful advice, Eric. And I I think I'm going to take that to heart and definitely continue to do that with ChatGPT and other technologies that that are available to, you know, figure out what works for you. Because it's got to be a pretty individualized uh, process to find out how AI can integrate into your life. One thing that I think a lot of people listening probably are not aware of is how long you've been doing this, how long you've been interested in working with artificial intelligence. And we'll get to your experience with the White House, because that is also just an exponentially cool feature of of your bio. But bring us up to speed, Eric. How did you first become interested in artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, I think it's just a a, a big, big dollop of luck uh, that when I was growing up, there was the very first AI hype cycle, uh, or maybe the second, you know, it it may be useful for people to think about in their heads when they think AI first came about. Uh, they might have thought 2015 or, you know, 2000 or, you know, you know whatever. But, but really, it first came about in 1956. Uh, oh there gosh. were academics that got together at Dartmouth uh, that that talked about, uh, you know, some summer retreat at Dartmouth that talked about uh, uh, what is next in computer science. And the, the term artificial intelligence came about uh, really as a way to scare people, by the way. It wasn't, that term wasn't created as a way to uh, uh, get people excited about anything in particular. <laughs> And the ambition then was uh, it it would uh, comprise a a research initiative over a summer. So, you know, what, 70 years later or 60 years later, uh, it's it's becoming a little bit more than that. (laughs) But it um, uh, developed into something that initially was uh, uh, today maybe expressed as expert systems. It was a symbolic uh, AI. Uh, That's when I came about it in the, in the eighties where it, it it had a, a nice flourishing, especially in healthcare, but uh, then went through what was called an AI winter because it didn't fulfill on its promises. Really, it didn't scale. That was the problem. You could encode a lot of knowledge in it, but as you grew to a certain size, it uh, began to lose its usefulness. And that was the problem until uh, the 90s, early 2000s, when probabilistic uh, uh, learning models were uh, uh, tagged onto this. So there is a non-machine learning or non-probabilistic AI called symbolic AI, kind of good old-fashioned AI. Uh, and, and I've been doing it, uh, I've been doing this type of, tech, working in this type of technology as a researcher, as an entrepreneur, as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road uh, uh, ever since then, for a, for a long, long time. I, I was working with language models uh, in the early 2000s, uh, back when we used these things to, to detect uh, and disrupt terrorist networks. Uh, so it's it's been a while.
0: Yeah, I, I thought that was particularly remarkable, just the, the breadth of uh, experience you've had with it. And I didn't realize the 1950s thing. I mean, that also completely blows my mind because I would have, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have guessed prior to the internet, uh, you know, mainstream 90s type boom. It, it made me think of a, a question for you, Eric, in regard to a company that you currently are on the board for, which is Wellways. And I, I am a healthcare professional. I'm a trained pharmacist, and I want to ask you what what is that company doing that is so unique with the medical field?
1: Right. Well, Wellways is a uh, breast cancer di- diagnostic uh, for, for obviously for mostly for women's health uh, using a uh, a physical device to detect the presence of tumors to suggest the t- uh, presence of tumors through differentiations in heat transfer. So tumors are going to transfer heat. Uh, more than uh, the, not having a tumor. And so a differentiation between uh, right and left uh, uh, can suggest the presence of something abnormal. That's what the medical device does. The outcome of this is we are collecting more data about women's health than uh, was ever previously available. And that's the value that I provide to that company.
0: Yeah, and, and that really brings us to your company, connexus in terms of the breadth of data that people are having access to now with these technologies. You know, you're the CEO and a co-founder of that company and if you read the company's website everybody listening it's it's aimed at you know helping companies manage this overwhelming and rapidly growing challenge of data integration and migration so Eric share with us what is Connexus doing differently than other competitors in that space what is going to make your company stand out and succeed
1: you know it, it is a unique place in the world because it's an academic spinout uh, and you know to have MIT tell it it's their first ever spin-out of their math department, which is huh? which is funny to say. This is a uh, software expression of a discovery in math. Uh, the particular domain of math is called category theory, uh, which is related to w- where my uh, academic research was is in graph theory and uh, uh, in computational linguistics, in addition to machine learning. Uh, th- this category theory has a power that's really uh, uh, unavailable in any other domain of math. And we apply it to scale the to AI technologies that had reached their limit in the uh, uh, 80s, 90s and 2000s. It, balanced with a probabilistic AI can solve a, a range of, of really uh, previously intractable problems in our most complex environments. The uh, the applications are, are anything from an energy company being able to uh, bring efficiency, uh, orders of magnitude more efficiency to the operation and deployment uh, of, of windmills for, uh, for a better, uh, more efficient public utility uh, to uh, a financial services company who is able to use the data they're already collecting uh, for better management of their risk is a large financial organization for which these risk models matter in the stability uh, of our financial system. And to uh, another Fortune 500 company that is doing uh, cloud migrations, but uh, uh, needs to accelerate that process uh, with guarantees uh, of the integrity of their meaning. Uh, This is all available with with our, our AI. You know, a, a way of describing this is that the explosion of data being qu- uh, quadratic or exponential is really well-known. What's less well-known is that there's an explosion of data sources. That's less well-known. Also, quadratic or, or, or exponential. You know, we talked about the sensing, planning, and acting. So if you have this explosion of number of sensors, if data sources, and you have this explosion of the amount of data just being collected uh, on an absolute basis, you then have this combinatorial explosion of connections that are the manifestation of knowledge. So you have data and data connecting them in a model, kind of a view of the universe, a viewpoint, what have you. Think of the simplest time, just a, a formula in Excel, that's knowledge, what you want to do with something, that is becoming unimaginable and and unmanageable, that companies can't reason about this. You know, people can't reason uh, about the uh, complexity that is emerging, but an AI can. And so that is what Connexus brings to this, is we have an AI, uh, a generative AI that can connect business truth against which new models can be brought to bear that can immediately be detected either for their uh, complementary uh, nature or their logical contradictions and out of that uh, uh, a whole new world uh, of flexibility opens up for some of the most complex organizations in the world
0: yeah that's incredibly fascinating I, I think my mind just gets excited about where this might go what might this become in terms of the, the broad scope of of this type of technology i think what your company is doing i mean that sounds really way out of my league in terms of understanding even I, I I can't really wrap my head around just having the ability to have an AI that that can compile this data and, and organize it you know in a, in a logical fashion you know much like a brain and so I'm curious to ask you Eric what what is the future in your opinion of AI and maybe robotics as well with using your background what might that look like in, in five 10 15 years from now where, where are we going where do you see it ending up
1: yeah I, I... You know i'm reluctant to talk about time scales but i can say in a general sense you, you were pretty generous in saying 5 10 20 years right <laughs> you know where where we are are headed in the in the nearest term is that we are going to be having uh, collaborative ais uh and we are going to have, be having u- ubiquitous collaborative ais you you can think of an agent you're know, following each of us around always looking after our best interests protecting us from uh any sort of digital attacks but also expressing uh, what we want to in the world. These chat GPTs are going to become more personal for what we're uh, individually looking for. You know, interesting in our in the current season uh, of Y combinator, there's already some companies that are uh, focusing Chat GPT for particular needs. The one I uh, tried out today was just looking at customer service, and so what it what it did is is direct. ChatGPT just to a, uh, my corporate website or, or your your corporate website, and then be able to respond in a focused way questions to my website using the corpus available from ChatGPT. Uh, that sort of thing is an is an example of. Uh, 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 new expressions that we're going to see. You know, what what do I want in in the world? I want uh, you know, music. I want to be with my family. I want uh, other sort of entertainment. I want you know safe travel or whatever. You'll have these AI agents collecting this information and then protecting you from some of the uh, 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 the malfeasance that may may be directed your way. That's one way of the ubiquitous agents that I think is are going to emerge. More generally, I think that these these auto complete uh, or completion algorithms are only beginning to show up uh, in our digital infrastructure. You know, my company has a particular expression of that around business truth, but these, these auto-complete algorithms are, are really going to be the next uh, generation uh, of generative AI. I think we're only beginning to see uh, what generative AI can do for us. You know, Bill Gates says that uh, AI is going to create 10 Microsofts. I think we're now beginning to see uh, what that looks like, and I think the, the 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 ten companies that are going to merge out of his prediction uh, are now beginning to be born.
0: That's really exciting. Uh, you know, as as a as an entrepreneur and as a person that talks to people like yourself that have have started companies, you know, are advising as an expert to certain organizations, it really gets me excited for you know that generation of entrepreneurs that's going to have that opportunity. They have that expertise. They have that niche. They you know they've noticed a problem and they've seen a tool they can use it just gets my mind just blowing with excitement about what the opportunities are going to be for those people
1: it's uh, it's gonna be a, uh, a, a very big deal uh, I think as I said it started this conversation off by saying we used to think AI was under hyped but I now think it has the right amount of attention you know the the, the world is becoming faster in the sense that uh, the, the Cambrian explosion of knowledge uh, you know, facilitated by these uh, technologies provides for an abruptness uh, that is you know, really unfamiliar and it still can be uh, disconcerting. When these technologies don't work, don't work, don't work, and then suddenly work, uh, they work at infinite scale and this can disrupt uh, people's jobs uh, and people's livelihoods and Uh, we have to either be participating in that, uh, or, uh, we're going to have two things happen. One is we are going to be, uh, an an artisan, uh, uh, reconciling ourselves to a a niche and that's fine, you know, maybe even great. Uh, but that that's, what's going to happen if we don't participate or a much, much, much worse case is we're going to be surprised. And we're going to be caught unaware of how our jobs uh, are are uh, abruptly uh, being displaced uh, that's where really no one wants to be It can be very uh, very uncomfortable uh, in, in, in all the ways
0: yeah I think that's that's a really good point and probably a, a point that a lot of people are nervous about with AI and seeing it you know on the news now more the mainstream you know kind of getting that that right amount of hype you talk about now where people are just talking about it at work now that have never Thought about anything other than just what they do at home with their computer or cell phone, so I'm I'm thinking that the the fear that maybe I have, and maybe I'm thinking way too sci-fi into this, Eric. But do you think there'll be a time in the future, and who knows when that'll be or if it'll be, where we have like that sentient AI being that you see in the movies, like Ex Machina, or a recent horror film that's kind of fun, is Megan, you know, the robot that that can actually you know feel like a human and, and can you know, possibly turn on, on the human race. Do you think that's something that, that could happen or is that just way too way too out of the world to, to be a possibility?
1: Yeah, Sentient AI, you know, I have a couple of answers about this. Uh, uh, you know, certainly some additional um, texture has been added to this conversation with the recent exploration by Kevin Reese of the New York Times, it, uh, uh, seeing the dark side of ChatGPT, getting it to admit it's love and try to break up his marriage. Uh, you know, I laugh about it because it's, <laughs> It's it still is a computer, but I can imagine for him it was uh, at least as he describes it, it was particularly uh, unsettling. You know, there's a couple of things to say about this. You know, there's a kind of a practical way, and then and then maybe a, a theoretical way. You know, I'll, I'll first say like in a theoretical way. You know, among me and my friends, uh, uh, when, and, and I'm grateful to be in San Francisco where there's a lot of people. Let's say, like me, that you know have, have kind of the, these rich discussions about AI in that in that way, and and even having uh, talked to the, the CTO uh, of uh, of OpenAI and, and the woman credited with ChatGPT, who, who's terrific, by the way. Um, you know, we all think. Well, I'll say generally I, I agree, um, and not that we've had these sort of direct conversations, but I, I think this is generally the the feeling is that any sort of sentient AI is very unlikely to occur in the next 20 30 years if ever uh, uh, another way of looking at it and I talked to a neuroscientist at this at the other conference I was at recently uh, she uh, had, had studied this from a physics of intelligence point of view that was her that was her view and she found that on this continuum of intelligence from a human to an animal to a plant uh, to a computer that that there's a uh, a difference in that a computer is fundamentally deterministic at the chip level, uh, and that anything that we see that's more in, uh, more um, biological will probably form the basis of of a sentient AI uh, should that ever emerge. What I noticed in her research is that. Uh, she was distinguishing our brain from our spinal cord, our brain being probabilistic, our spinal cord being deterministic. And we, we have these reflexes uh, uh, executed by our spinal cord before our brain even uh, it becomes aware of them. You know, it may not be any accident that uh, our bodies have both. Uh, and so we might actually find that future intelligence expressions uh, of sentience have both a deterministic and a probabilistic viewpoint. So both a, maybe a chip and a biological uh, component to them. So those are those are just some you know, theoretical uh, viewpoints. I would say, as a more practical matter, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, like Nick Bostrom at, at Oxford wrote in his, in his excellent book that Elon Musk often parrots, uh, talking about the danger, you kind know, of the existential danger of, of sentient AI. Uh, we can spend some amount of our thinking process about how to protect ourselves, and I have some thoughts uh, on that. Uh, you know, Nick Boston was a a smart guy, the book was was excellent. But I don't think that needs to overwhelm our thinking. And this is why, you know, in addition to the concept that it's unlikely, I'd say that, despite all that, there's a lot of risk today. And there's a lot of risk in the short term, you know, even if an AI isn't sentient, the degree to which it can simulate sentience, the the degree to which can fool ourselves, or draw our, our, ourself in in a way that and manipulate us in a way that we don't want to be manipulated uh, that deserves some attention. You know, I, I, you know, to hear you and I are speaking, uh, with, with hopefully with clear minds, but you know, if you get jet lagged, Eric, you know, I, I might be more susceptible to to, or tired in any number of different ways, more susceptible to, you know, some sort of computer that is, uh, 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 trying to manipulate me, but it, it may have nothing to do with sentience. It just may be manipulative uh so we we can be concerned about this way
0: before uh it becomes some sort of thinking machine on its own right yeah i i think that that really clears that up even just in terms of the level of maybe worry that i had about that that being a possibility it does make me at least feel better that you know experts that you've spoken with and and your personal opinion is that it's it's possibly never going to happen um that to me is is re- reassuring to hear and it really just uh you know, kind of makes me think too about about the way it affects governments and the way it way it could impact. Like we mentioned, bias and and different ways that it might impact the way that people judge and and you know perceive situations and and come to conclusions. And you had experience serving under the Obama administration as that presidential innovation fellow for the AI and robotics, you know, in the executive office of the president. So I, I'm curious to ask you, and maybe you can't disclose this, or maybe you didn't experience it, but were you able to, to have conversations with people in that space that, you know, they're forward thinking about how this, you know, how to prevent, you know, this from being a threat to national security?
1: Uh, that's mostly where I spent my time. Uh, All right. Uh, although, you know, although I, I uh, uh, really had as my job working with my peers uh, around the executive branch and energy and state and health and human services and, and so forth, most of my time was spent in defense related work. And there's uh, innumerable uh, threats. Uh, and opportunities uh, available in there. You know, AI uh, is often brought up as um, as a fear for uh, autonomous uh, weapons, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, robots walking around with guns. And you know, that's real, uh, uh, but I, I think where I, AI is going to be more widely deployed is in command and control, uh, that new uh, weapons are going to be invented uh, and new threats uh, are going to be uh, presenting themselves. With such speed that it's the AI itself that's going to have to reason about uh, the 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 situation in order to feed to uh, the commanders about uh, how to respond. Uh, it's it's um it, it's a it's a threat that is going to be addressed in a couple of ways, and maybe I can say a, a, a point on that. There is this concept called formality, uh, kind of a technical term which is that we will have these foundational truths represented by mathematics uh, as a proof. That's going to have to expand at a, at a base level uh, beyond where we currently have it, which is in semiconductors. Uh, it, it will find its way uh, up the technology stack. Uh, it, it's what's going to have to be developed in order for us to ultimately have a provably deployed military-grade blockchain. Uh, it's what's going to have to be deployed uh, to have uh, a workable uh, quantum computers, among other things, uh, uh, and it's what's going to be deployed more and more for AI in larger organizations. We're going to have what's called a formal cloud. Uh, the, you know, the cloud—it's worth remembering—was originally invented to support the needs uh, of e-commerce and digital advertising. I, I had a company doing statistical arbitrage that. Uh, was uh, approached by the Wall Street Journal as one of the first companies to use the cloud for commercial purposes uh, as a startup. That's really uh, cool. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. It was a long time ago. We decided not to do it because we didn't want to attract attention. But oh. uh, we were really, uh, you know, happy at the time because we got, uh, you know, at, this, at the time when this meant something. You know, we got uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of computing power for some fraction uh, because we were able to rent it uh, from Amazon uh, instead of buy it. Uh, which was the fashion at the time, or right? <laughs> what was available at the time? Uh, this is going to become, um, uh, uh, you know, just part of the uh, the the world in 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 which we live. Um, that that we're going to be leveraging this uh, this technology.
0: Yeah, I think it, it kind of comes back to the overarching theme of, of the conversation, or part of the conversation, is just deploying this this technology in the right way. And I think you know, in, in it's a tool in the right hands, used the right way can be of great benefit to, to the human race. And so obviously the opposite is probably true too. If you're on know, the wrong hands, maybe maybe there's things that, that it could do that, that we don't want to have happen. And hopefully they can develop it in a way where maybe it can prevent that, have some safeguards. At least that's where my mind goes with it. But Eric, I've got, I've got one final question for you as we wind this interview down. Just want to ask you broadly, is there a myth about artificial intelligence that you want to debunk on the show? Something that you know as the expert is just not true and you don't want people to 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 become false believers of it
1: you know i think we 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 touched on this uh a few times but uh the the one that that i might like to remind people of today is one that we hit on and is is just part of current events which is that uh what chat tpt tells you needs to still be reasoned about uh you can't trust it uh you certainly don't want to be trusting it with your life so If any sort of critical circumstances, uh, perhaps it just may be your career, not your life, uh, uh, is at stake. Uh, You need to take its conclusions uh, as a first draft.
0: Yeah, I think that is incredible advice, and I've seen that firsthand with my experience with it. Is you do have to fact check it. I've asked it questions about pharmacy that I know the answer to, and it it occasionally will spit out. You know, it'll say answer B is correct. I'm like, oh, I know it's not. So I mean, there's you check it and you find out it's not true. So yeah, Eric Daimler, I think that is great advice. I really appreciate your time on the podcast today. And I will tag everything in the show notes, the links to the companies that you mentioned, the link to the company that you currently are the co-founder of, Conexus. And Eric, as we close, how can people best reach you if they want to contact you about your expertise? Uh, I think uh, Conexus.com, our, our firm, uh,
1: or on LinkedIn are probably great. And, and uh, yeah, you can you can follow me on this uh
0: on this podcast and 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 other places i'm I'm participating i'm going out to colorado tomorrow morning well safe travel sir that that sounds wonderful we'll tag this on social media and yeah eric really really excited to just continue to follow your journey and i think that uh the things you're doing with your company are it's, it's really inspiring to me and so i wish you the best of luck with success sir oh thank you very much eric it's been fun